Hey, this is Shane Valenstein, the pastor at City on a Hill Community Church. I want to welcome you to our sermon podcast. I hope that this podcast helps you grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at cityonahillmd.org. Enjoy the message. We're in the final week of our Amazing Grace series, and all month long, we've been talking about the grace of God. That's what we've been talking about. What it means, what it looks like, and how, how it changes. Because grace is a foundational belief for the church. It's a foundational belief for Christianity. We've talked about how it's complex, yet simple at the same time. It's something where we're like, this grace, is, it sounds too good to be true. To just buy into this grace thing. And we have a difficult time wrapping our minds around what grace is, what it looks like, what it actually means, and how we can apply it in in our lives. And as we've been exploring grace, we often, we've started off by talking about how messed up we are. We talked about it every single week. And I've said things like this. I've said things like, we make mistakes. We fall short. We, We aren't perfect. And while those things are true, they're very true, I've I know that really what I'm doing is I'm kind of softening the truth. I'm kind of softening the blow. And if you've been here all month or, or if you've watched online or anything like that, you, you've probably heard me say these things, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you, okay? I want you to come to church, and I want you to feel good about coming to church. I want you to like me. I want you to like the people around you. I want you to like the church around you. So at times... It's easier to say things like, like this, like we make mistakes, we fall short, we, we aren't perfect. It's easy to say things like that in an attempt to not make you feel bad. But there's a, there's a real issue here because today we're, we're getting straight to the God's honest, honest truth, okay? The bottom line is this. Sin is no joke. It's no joke. Sin, sin, sin is not something... That, uh, that, that we should take lightly. And sin is not just a mistake. It can be at times. But a lot of times, we do something wrong not by accident. Because we, when we say things like, we make mistakes, what that's implying is, I didn't actually mean to do this, but it kind of ended up that way. And we know, I know in my life, there are plenty of times where I've done things intentionally knowing that it wasn't the right thing to do. And you've done the same. And so when I say things like, we make mistakes, we fall short, we're not perfect, I'm just, I'm, it's true, it's true, but I'm, I'm not actually coming with the, with the real punch. Because the real punch is, sin is serious, sin is real, and it's painful, it tears apart, it destroys, it keeps you away from God. That's what it does. And the truth is, we are not sinners because we sin. Rather, we sin because we are sinners. That's really the truth. See, behavior modification, it doesn't deal with the real problem. This is what I mean by by behavior modification. Every so often, somebody will will come to me as, as, as the pastor and they will say, I need you to change this about my spouse. Or I need you to change this about, about my kid or my teenager or, or my mom or dad. I'm like, I, I'm not in the behavior modification game here. 
That's, that's, not, that's not what we do. That's not what I do. That's not, that's not what, even what the Bible says. The Bible is not about behavior modification. Jesus is not about behavior modification. Because we're, if, if we only come into this and we say, hey, look, you need to change this, 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 and this about your life, and you don't understand the reasoning behind anything, you don't understand the point behind anything, guess what? It's not going to last. It may last for a period of time, but it's not, it's not going to last forever. See, the answer that I always give to somebody who says, can you change this about somebody else in my life? The answer I always give is absolutely not. No. I, I have no control over that. I have no power over that. See, Jesus is focused on the person, not the behavior. This is important. And this is also good news. Because if Jesus is focused on our behavior, then we should be pretty embarrassed. Amen? But because he's not, because he's focused on you as a person, as an individual, that's great news. That's good. That's a positive thing. Now, it doesn't mean that Jesus wants you to continue in the behavior that is not healthy for you in your life. But Jesus doesn't step in and say, okay, let's, let's change this about you. And then let's change this about you. Jesus works on the heart of the individual, on the soul of the person. He doesn't start with the behavior. See, sin defines who I am before it describes what I do. In other words, it's ingrained in us as people. When you were born into this world, nobody had to teach you how to sin. Nobody had to teach you how to do things incorrectly. Nobody had to teach you how to be a jerk. Nobody had to teach you that. You, had, you could do it all on your own. I could do it all on my own. C.S. Lewis puts it this way in Mere Christianity, and it'll be behind me. Fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. Rather, he is a rebel who must lay down his arms. See, the problem, the problem is worse than you think. It's not just tweaking a little something. It's about laying down everything and saying, Jesus, take over. That's what it's about. If you just want a motivational speech, you can find that on YouTube. If you, if, you're just, if you just want like a motivational speaker at church, it's great, it's fine. That's not what it's about. That's not what church is about. We are here to completely change us from the inside out. And we must have a proper understanding of sin to have a proper understanding of grace. We can't fully understand grace if we don't fully understand sin. And you do not just mess up sometimes like I've been saying all month long. Rather, you have a nature that is bent towards sin. That's the truth. I have it as well. We all have it as people. And a couple of weeks ago, we, we started off by, by talking about the original sin of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. And this is what's known as the fall of mankind. The first sin, and you know the story, even if you didn't grow up in church, you know the story. Adam and Eve in the garden, the serpent comes along, convinces Eve to take a bite from the apple. Adam's standing right there. He also takes a bite from the apple, the one thing that God told them not to do. All of the sudden, sin is introduced into our world, right? We talked about it a few weeks ago. So there was, there was an anonymous English poem that became a hymn that was written in the 15th century. 
Now, if you're not a big history buff, it's okay. Stick with me. I'm not going to give you a whole history lesson here, but this is important for what we're talking about today, okay? And it was called O Felix Culpa, and it's derived from the writings of St. Augustine. It's important. And St. Augustine, what he was writing, it was regarding the fall of man and women and talking about the original sin of Adam and Eve. And here is part of Felix Culpa that I want to just read a line to you and what it says. This is what it says. In, in this hymn that was derived from this poem that was based off of the teachings of St. Augustine. Blessed be the name, blessed be the time that apple taken was, therefore we may sing Deo gracias, thanks be to God. So if you didn't catch it because it speaks in a way that I don't really speak, and probably you don't really speak, what they were saying is, what this hymn is saying is, it's actually praising the granddaddy of all sins. It says, blessed be the time that apple was taken what that doesn't make sense blessed be the time that sin was introduced therefore we may sing thanks be to god it's like reading it it's like well hold on a second let's slow down okay the granddaddy of all sins the original sin thank god that the apple was taken thank god for the original sin what doesn't make any sense wouldn't life be better for everyone if we were just still in the garden? Wouldn't, wouldn't life be better if sin never was introduced into this world and we were just able to just walk, walk around with Adam and Eve, with everybody else, God is there blessing us, no problems, no sin, no issues? Wouldn't that be better? See, the Latin phrase Felix culpa is often translated as this, happy fault, happy fault. Felix Culpa. What? Does that, I'm, Matt, I'm just going to start saying that when I hit a golf shot, okay, and it hits a tree, and then it comes back out into the fairway. I'm just going to say Felix Culpa from now on. Happy fault. I messed up, but I'm happy about it. It ended up in a good spot. Happy fault. So whenever you mess up, do you just go, oh, great, I'm happy about this. I'm happy that I sinned. I'm happy that I fell short. So why is this happy? And I think in order to understand why this is happy, we have to look at Luke chapter 15. And in this chapter, it's a famous chapter, and you, I'm sure that you've heard these, these parables. There are three different parables in Luke chapter 15. And each parable is all communicating the same message. It's all the same underlying message that is being communicated by, by, by Jesus, okay? And we talked about this many times in church. It's the parable of the lost sheep, it's the parable of the lost coin, and it's the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. All three, back to back to back, in one chapter. It's kind of like all-time greatest hits of parables, all in one little spot. Okay? And Jesus is sharing these three stories to drive home an important point. And in all three stories, either something or someone is lost. In all three stories. And in all three stories, at the end, that thing or that person is found. So it's first a sheep is lost. Then a coin is lost, and then a son is lost. And in all three stories, at the end, the sheep is found. You know the story, right? We sing about it all the time. Leave the 99 to find the one. The sheep is found. We sing about it in reckless love all the time. The coin is found, and then the son is found. 
And I want to point out the reaction to finding what was lost in each story. So the first one in the lost sheep, in Luke 15, verse 6, after the sheep has been found, this is the reaction of the person in the story that Jesus is telling. And when he finds it, talking about the sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. There's joy there, there's excitement there. He takes his sheep, is excited to throw the sheep on his shoulders, walks home, calls the people that he loves and says, guess what? I found my sheep, let's celebrate. Next one, the lost coin. The coin is lost, then the person finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. You ever find 20 bucks in your pocket? Phooey! That's a good day, ain't it? Hell yeah. When you open up the dryer and all of a sudden you see some money floating around, you're like, oh man. I'm, you know what I do with my cash? I go get snowballs. You guys like snowballs? Because it only takes cash. So I, whenever I have cash, because I don't really use cash for anything else, I just, I just have a snowball stash. And I go get snowballs at night when the kids go to sleep. <laughs> Anyways, all right. So she finds a coin and she rejoices. She's excited. So lost sheep, lost coin. And then the lost son. Here's the reaction when the prodigal son returns. And this is probably the most famous of them all. And the father's waiting for his son. And every day he's looking on the horizon. He's looking down the road, waiting, hoping, praying that his son comes around the corner. So this, this has already happened. The son runs out. Right, the father runs out, hugs his son, says, I'm so glad that you're home. Here's, here's how the father reacts. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robes and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. All three instances, all three stories, when they find what was lost, it's a party. It's, it's good news. You call people, you tell people, you celebrate together. Pure joy over finding what was lost. I mean, parties are thrown. Feasts are thrown like none other. But this, this kind of creates a dilemma. And this can even be theologically dicey if we can do that in church. See, happy fault or happy sin is a strange thing to say. Now, don't get me wrong. I've got to be clear on this, okay? I'm not standing up here today encouraging you to sin. It's not what I'm doing by any means. By any means. I need, I need to make sure you hear me on this. I'm not saying, hey, go ahead and sin. It's happy. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. Sin causes untold misery, and regardless of the repentance that follows, it still doesn't undo its harmful effects in our lives. There are still consequences for the decisions that we make, regardless of the grace and the repentance that Jesus provides. Now, the grace and the repentance, what that means is that doesn't define you, but sometimes we still have to deal with the fallout of what we've done. So sin is not fun. It's not what I'm communicating. 
So why then are we rejoicing in the fall of the human race? See, had Adam and Eve not fallen by sin, had the, had the original sin not been introduced, they would have remained in the garden in a state of supernatural grace, which is wonderful, which is great. That's a great thing. And eventually, they would have been taken up to heaven with every person who lived after that. If no sin, now we know that obviously this is impossible because sin literally infiltrated the first people on earth. But let's just, let's just play devil's advocate. And say that sin was never, never made its way. And the serpent tried to tempt every single person in in human history. And every person said no. Yeah, right. But let's just say. Okay? Then eventually we would all be in a supernatural state of grace. With God here on earth. Heaven here on earth. Or maybe God would have decided to bring us all to heaven. We, We don't know for sure. They would have shared in the vision of God. We would have shared in the vision of God. And that would have been the deepest possible union that we could have had with God, between God and people. The deepest possible union. However, since we have fallen in sin, Jesus Christ made a way to redeem us. Made a way to save us. Made a way to restore us to that same supernatural state of grace that we're referencing in the beginning of Genesis. That supernatural state of grace that we want to be at. Jesus made a way for us to still experience that. And he made that possible in a way that is far surpassing in glory than what we could have known had we have not fallen. So I know that this is kind of like a really weird sermon. I understand that, okay? I understand that. I'm getting, I'm getting to the point. In layman's terms, we rejoice when we are found because we know what it feels like to be lost. You follow me? When you know what it feels like to be lost and then you are found, all of a sudden, you appreciate what you found. You appreciate the grace that it provided. You appreciate knowing. It's kind of like when you move out of your parents' house for the first time and you're like, oh, I have to pay for groceries. Oh, I have to pay for the utilities. Oh, I have to pay for my rent or my mortgage. And then all of a sudden you're like, hey, mom, you're making dinner? I'm coming over. And then you go back for a home-cooked meal and you're like, I didn't realize how good I had it. I didn't understand what I was missing out on. This was in front of me the whole time. And I didn't know it until I was lost or until I moved out. You follow me? See, when we, we rejoice when we are found because we know what it feels like to be lost. And that's the situation in Luke 15 with all three stories. The sheep is found and, and the shepherd is so scared. The shepherd is so upset. I've lost this sheep. I care about the sheep. And then he found the sheep and he's so excited. He has to tell everybody. The, the woman loses her coin and then she finds it. She's so excited. Now she can use it to pay for whatever she needs to buy. She tells her friends. They celebrate. The father loses his son. He sees him coming home, and he's so excited, he celebrates, and he throws a party. He throws the biggest feast that he could find. See, when you, when you experience the pain of sin, that's when you appreciate the joy of grace. 
If we had never experienced the pain of sin, we would not truly understand the sweetness that grace is. We would not truly understand it. And when you experience the painful side of life, you appreciate the positive side of life. Doesn't mean that you should go on sinning. It doesn't mean that you should just throw your life, and, life away and say, okay, this is, Shane said Felix Culpa, happy fault, let's just go ahead and sin. That's, that, that's not what this means. But it does mean because we were born into a fallen world, because we were born into a world that has sin, and it's ingrained in us already, and our nature is bent towards that already, already. We don't have to try. And we know we're not perfect. We know we fall short. We know we make mistakes. And beyond that, we know we intentionally do things incorrectly or wrongly to hurt other people because we're selfish. We make those decisions. So we've been there. We've all been hurt. We've all struggled. Has there ever been a time in your life where you failed over and over and over and over and over again? And you felt like you were never going to get it? And then all of a sudden you did? Maybe you went to take your driver's test when you were 16, or I don't even know how old they got to be now. It feels like 30. It just keeps getting older and older. When I was a younger, I was 16. Maybe you went to go take your driver's test and you failed. You're like, oh, now everyone's going to ask me. And then you go back again and then you fail again. And then you're so heartbroken. You just want to get in your car and you just want to drive. And then you fail again. And then you go back and you pass. And the joy that is found in that moment when you failed and failed and failed and then you didn't fail. Whew! It's a party. Maybe, maybe you tried hard to lose weight over and over and over and over again. And you tried different diet, diet, diet. And you just can't do it. And then all of a sudden, something clicked. And you found something that worked for you. And you were committed to it. And you changed your lifestyle. And then you succeeded. You know what it was like to be on the other side. Maybe you worked hard at learning a skill, but you just kept struggling. You just couldn't get it. You just couldn't get it. You just couldn't get it. And then you got it. That feeling. See, when you know the pain of failure, it makes the feeling of success that much better. That's what it does. Why? Because you know the other side. Because you've experienced the other side. I'm going to give you an example of my life that's kind of stupid, I guess. I don't know. I'm a huge Washington Capitals fan. Who likes the Capitals? Anybody like the, like the Capitals, like hockey? Okay, a few of you. Oh, Penguins fans, get out of here. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Nice having you, Eric. Anyways, sorry. Um, I'm a huge Washington Capitals fan. And if you know anything about hockey, I know not a lot of people are hockey fans, but if you know anything about hockey, you know anything about the Capitals, their history since the 70s when they came into the league has just been failure after failure after failure after failure. What else would you expect? It's a D.C. sports team. That's just the way it happens in D.C., okay? It's just failure after failure. See, that's the only D.C. team I really root for. So anyways, um, they failed over and over and over again. And then, all of a sudden, there was the possibility of hope. Because back in 2003, a guy named Alex Ovechkin was drafted to the team. And uh, he's the greatest goal scorer of all time. And we'll probably pass Wayne Gretzky, who many people know. I know if you're not a sports fan, I'm sorry. Just stick with me. Stick with me, okay? So eventually, all of a sudden, there's hope for Capitals fans. And we're like, all right, we've experienced loss after loss after loss. Now, all of a sudden, we have this guy. Now, all of a sudden, we have this team. 
and we expect to be good. And then every year in the regular season, all of a sudden, they were the best team in the regular season. They would have the best record. Going into the playoffs, it would be great. From 2008 to 2017, the Caps were consistently the best regular season team in the NHL, but they never experienced postseason success. See, they made the playoffs nine out of ten years, but never made it past the second round of the playoffs. And they were often the best team going in. A huge failure. Huge failure. And every year I would watch the team, and Lauren could, could tell you, I would watch the team about this time, hockey playoffs are about to start, and I would be so excited just to be heartbroken because of those stupid Penguins every year. Every year they would lose. And it would be heartbreaking fashion. Game seven, overtime goals, they would always find a way to lose. But then all of a sudden, 2018, they didn't. And all of a sudden, in 2018, they won the Stanley Cup. And they beat the Penguins, who had beaten them multiple times. They, they beat other teams that were better than them, actually. And they make it all the way, and they win the only Stanley Cup in the history of the franchise. For the game that they won the Stanley Cup against the Vegas Golden Knights, I went down to D.C. I think Anthony, Anthony was there, and Olivia, I think, and Xander, I think you guys were down there, right? And um, we were watching the game on the outside of the arena, because they were in Vegas, and we were in the streets of D.C. watching the game and um, uh, watching them win the Stanley Cup. And I actually have a video of when I was there, the final moments of when the Capitals won the Stanley Cup. And I want to show you the pure joy and excitement that I had in my life in this one moment. Watch this. <laughs> next slide there for me there, George. See that? See that face? Pure joy. Pure excitement. Lauren, I love you. I don't know if I've ever been happier in my life. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's a joke. Okay. Pure joy. Pure excitement. And I remember when, when all this happened, because I've known the pain of being a Capitals fan my whole life, and I've known the failure that, that happened prior to this moment, the taste of victory was even that much sweeter. You follow me? That much sweeter. Because I understood how hard it was. I understood how difficult it was to get to that place. That is Felix Kulpa. Happy thoughts. We don't like that sin is in this world. But because sin is in this world, we get to experience grace. The sweetness of grace. When you do sin, God is not celebrating it. He's not celebrating it, but he pours out grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace in your life. That's what he does. And when you do accept that grace, God rejoices and he throws a party. He throws a feast. There is a celebration. He brings the angels together. He calls up his friends. He celebrates. He's so very excited. Why? Because you were lost and now you're found. Because you were in sin and now you found grace. Because you had pain and now you found life. That is the sweetness of the grace that Jesus Christ offers to you. 
Don't let sin define you, but rather let sin lead you to grace to help you understand how great this is. There's a song by my favorite band. It's called, it's called King's Kaleidoscope, and they have a song called Felix Culpa. And it's about how sweet that grace is that God provides because we know the pain of our sin. When you understand the pain of sin and you search for a solution and you find it, it changes your life. But sometimes we don't, we don't search for grace because we don't know how badly we need it. Sometimes we think, yeah, I'm fine. Sometimes we think, ah, I'm just going to keep on going on about my life the way that I go about my life. I don't really want to, I don't want to change a lot of things. I feel like if I pursue this whole grace thing, then it's going to make me change things in my life. I don't want to do that. I just want to keep going about what I'm going about. And all that you're doing is you're settling. You're settling for mediocre. You're settling for average. You're not settling. You're, you're, not, you're not pursuing what's, what you're worthy of. You're settling for what this world has to offer. And God says, you're better than that. I'll provide a better life for you, a more fulfilled life, a more satisfied life if you pursue me. And sometimes we have to hit rock bottom before we turn around. But we don't always have to. Some people do. Some people are stubborn. And some people get to that place where they have to hit rock bottom and there's nowhere else to go, no other choice to make but to turn to God. And if you need that in your life, then I pray you hit rock bottom so that you find Jesus. But I also pray that you don't have to hit rock bottom before you find Jesus, before you find his grace. So this song that I'm going to share with you, is uh, this gives us that example. And it's a, it's a video, and it has the lyrics going. Um, and I want you to, to listen, and I want you to, to read the lyrics and understand what it's communicating. Because this is the gift of grace. Amen? Let's watch this together.
So what it's communicating is that you are not defined by your sin. Rather, if you choose to accept it, you're defined by grace, which washes it all away. And how sweet it is. Now, grace isn't always, or sin, rather, isn't always a happy fault. Sometimes we allow sin to just fester and just keep going and keep building and keep destroying and keep having a hold over you. In that moment, it's not a happy fault. It's not Felix Culpa. Instead, it's chaining you down. But God offers that grace. Your choice, your decision is to just simply accept it. Say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I am going to live in your grace that says, you've paid my price. So if you want to pursue that grace, it starts here. You can pray in your seat. You can always come up and talk to me in the front. I would love to pray with you. If you're sick and tired of letting sin run your life and you want grace to run your life, now's the time. Amen? Let's stand and let's sing together.